Well, 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 welcome to the first of many playoff editions of the Association NBA Podcast. My name is Sam Ruth here. On the line, joining me in the morning instead of in the evening is my man, Tommy Wood. Tommy, good morning. Top of the morning to you. Top of the morning to you, boy. <laughs> as as yeah. Tommy and I just noted, uh, usually we'll record this podcast over a couple rounds of beers. Today it is coffee, so we may sound a little faster, a little more stimulated, or we might just sound normal because we both just woke up not too long ago. Either way, we've got a lot of ground to cover. We are recording this the morning of, what is it, Friday? Friday the 13th, April 13th, the day before the NBA playoffs start for this 2017-2018 season. We had to wait all the way up until two days ago when we finally got those playoff matchups set, and now we've got them. And now we're going to bust through. We're going to hit every single one over the next hour or so. And let's just dive right in, Tommy. We've got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to start in the West. We're going to move over to the East once we've accomplished everything in the West. But the 4-5 in the West, a lot of folks are calling this the marquee matchup. It'd be hard to disagree, although there's some other ones I'm definitely keeping an eye out for. This is the 4-seed, Oklahoma City, with a 48-34 and record. Taking on the 5-seed, the Utah Jazz, also with a 48-34 and record. And a couple of superstar guards here, just a lot of talent, some pretty impressive teams, some pretty impressive season storylines. What are you looking for with this one? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, I can see why people are calling this the marquee matchup because this is probably, in terms of team quality, this is probably the best one we're getting, at least uh, on the Western side of the bracket. But I don't actually think this is going to be a very close series. I think this is... Uh, a really bad matchup for Oklahoma City. And I just think, I think the way these two teams play, uh, this series is really going to lend itself to the Jazz. Um, just like, the Thunder have been running, you know, lately they've been, I mean, always, but more even more so lately, they've been running so much, you know, Westbrook out of pick and roll that's been their bread and butter. And the Jazz pick and roll defense uh, with Gobert dropping back, um, and and just laying there at the rim, I think is really going to present them problems because Westbrook has not been the most efficient finisher at the rim this year. Uh, per B-ball ref, he's only shooting uh, 56% on layups, and that's on an insanely high volume. That's on almost 600 attempts. And so you know he's going to try to get downhill. He's going to try to get to the rim. I don't see him being able to finish over Gobert. And then the way they, the, the Jazz lay Gobert back uh, in the pick-and-roll – they really invite that mid-ranger. So I can see, you know, Gobert drops back. Westbrook knows he's not going to be able to finish, and his eyes are going to light up. He's going to be like, yeah, I can make this 18-footer. The Jazz are going to be like, yeah, you can. <laughs> and I think he, I think Westbrook has just got to kind of settle into a lot of bad, you know, off-the-dribble uh, long twos. Uh, I can really see him having some, like, 8-for-30 games in this series. And I think that for the Thunder to win – they're going to need some vintage playoff Paul George. Um, and I think he's absolutely capable of that. It's just, is he going to touch the ball enough to be able to uh, to go off? Certainly. Um, I mean, any Thunder series all revolves around Westbrook to some degree, how he's going to put his fingerprints on it, how the other team is built to stop him. And you're right. I mean, this Arnovitz and Lowe were talking about it on their award podcast the other day. They both picked Gobert as their defensive player of the year because Quinn Snyder, the Utah Jazz, that defense is built around him. It all revolves around Gobert at the center, 
how he affects how guys are taking it to the hole. And he's going to affect Westbrook in a big way because I love that you bring up Westbrook hasn't been very efficient at the rim this season. He's not a terribly efficient player anyway. But uh, nope. Westbrook in the mid-range, I mean, I'm licking my chops over here. And I'm sure Utah's watching film laughing their asses off right now, knowing that he's going to take plenty of those if they play their cards right. Um, I wanted to talk a little more about Paul George, though, because my, uh, and you can hear me say this a million times, this, this, this podcast, I'll try not to say too much, but my key matchup, so to speak, is Paul George versus Joe Ingles, question mark, or most likely probably Jay Crowder. Um, yeah. Crowder. Back to his Boston days was known as like this stopper or what have you. Um, kind of lost that reputation a little going over to Cleveland and realizing that he wasn't really going to be able to be a focal point of that defense. Um, now in Utah, he's had a really great end to the season. With that said, though, Paul George is a big ask. Um, I'm wondering if Oklahoma City is going to be able to throw it to George enough to squeak this one out because I do think I think they're going to come out on top. Um, but I think that all depends on Paul George getting enough touches, getting enough points, taking advantage of mismatches like Joe Ingles. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention was uh, we've got a pretty spectacular duel going on under the basket between Rudy Gobert and Steven Adams, and it's just going to be fun. Um, two big, bruising guys, centers, um, in a league where they're kind of few and far between, although we've got more than you could say in years past, but... Uh, Obviously, Gobert's the guy who's who's got a little more of a reputation, but we've talked about it all, all season. Um, Steven Adams is more important to this team than Carmelo Anthony by a far margin. Um, do you th- yeah. Do you think Melo in any way can impact this series in a positive light, or are we going to finally see Olympic Melo, or is he just relegated to <laughs> garbage minutes where he drags down the Thunder? Well, I mean, he'll affect it positively for the Thunder if he makes his jump shots. It's just he hasn't been doing that all year, and that's really you know, the kind of the value they thought he would provide to them would be kind of elite three-point shooting and, and floor spacing and, and jump shooting. Really, that's that's kind of why they traded for him. And he just hasn't done that. Um, I, I do worry that he might get um, uh, played off the floor a little bit um, just because you saw even in the regular season when teams, you know, don't as aggressively go after matchups, but teams would uh, go out of their way to get mellow, switch on to their best perimeter guy and then let him attack. And the Jazz, or excuse me, the, the, the Thunder, if, if they switch, uh, you know, Mellow onto Mitchell uh, or, you know, Ingles, any guy like that, any of the Jazz's, like, offensive fulcrums, uh, Rubio even could blow by him and, oh, yeah. and, you know, kind of create some havoc when he gets downhill. Yeah, I think that's going to be a big problem. Um, you know, I, I like what you said about, about Paul George. I think it really will come down to is he going to be able to get enough shots up? Because he's been the Thunder's best player this year. Like, let's be real, uh, on both ends of the court. And um, I think if the the Jazz aren't a terribly switch-heavy team, but one way you can take advantage of of Gobert, as I saw uh, the Rockets do this uh, a couple uh, weeks ago, is they went went small. They had uh, Mba Mute at center. And the Jazz did not go small to uh, to match up with that. And then the Rockets just just killed Gobert with uh, Chris Paul and Bob Mute pick and rolls. And yeah. Bob Mute would either pick and pop and then uh, like pump and, and blow by uh, Gobert, or he was able to really like dive and, and get to the rim more quickly than Gobert could get back to contest. And he got some nice dunks. Um, so I think if they real, I, you know, Paul George doesn't like playing small, but I think 
they might have to explore that um, really downsizing to uh, to try to take advantage of, of Gobert's comparative lack of mobility on the perimeter. The one thing that could kind of get in the way of that is Alex Abrinas has a concussion, yep. and we don't know if he's going to be able to play, at least in game one. So it's, I don't know, it's not looking too good for me for uh, for the Thunder. I, uh, wow. I Honestly, we'll get right to the predictions because we've got to move on. I, when I heard you come into it, I thought you were going to say it's not looking too good for, for Utah, and I was going to come back at you with, Hey man, Utah has overcome expectations all year. What do you, you Donovan Mitchell, rookie wall, but we barely touched on Mitchell. Um, he's still gonna have a huge role yeah. to play in the series as well. But we, yeah, we, we this is awesome. Yeah, it's gonna be exciting. Mitchell versus Russ, how about it? Mitchell versus Russell, the regular season triple double hustle Westbrook, and he's probably gonna <laughs> find out that I said that and block me on Twitter. Um, does Russell and you like know, like Mitchell, he's just got he's got like such big balls. He's not gonna be afraid no. of Russell Westbrook. Not at all. At all. Um, which is so rare for a rookie, you know, I, I, you know, I've kind of heard like on other podcasts and, and stuff I've read people speculating, you know, is, are the playoffs going to be too big for Donovan Mitchell? Is he going to kind of, uh, you know, uh, shrink on a big stage like rookies are ten, tend to do? No, he's not like he has lived for this all season. Um, and then defensively too, I think between like him, Rubio, uh, Crowder, they have so many guys, you know, maybe even Ingles, although I don't think he's fast enough. I think they have a lot of guys who can kind of frustrate uh, uh, Westbrook and, and George to some degree on the perimeter, too. So, you know, I think uh, I, I'm, I'm going to take the Jazz in five. Jazz in five. Wow. Um, one more quick note. We already went over on the first one, but we'll get better. Um, I can't wait to see how Quinn Snyder plays the matchup so that either Rubio or Mitchell or both feast on Raymond Felton. Um, in, Fel- in Felton's defense, like he 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 tries really hard, um, but it's gonna happen. Uh, I'm gonna take Thunder and seven. Thunder and seven. I think All that right. I think that Russ listens. I think Donovan makes the right adjustments. I think Paul George has the game of his life in Game Seven and pulls it out. Uh, okay, one down. Take. Right on to the next one. We got the three seed Portland taking on the six seed New Orleans. Now again, very similar records here. Portland's forty nine and thirty three. New Orleans is forty eight and thirty four. Portland's kind of had this seed sun up for a little while. They rode a really strong wave into the second half and 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 locked it up, home court advantage and so forth. Uh, New Orleans is coming in super hot. They were duking it out to just make the playoffs, and then right there at the end, they had a five game win streak. So I'll I'll throw it to you. There's a lot of intrigue with uh, guys guarding guys across the court and some superstar talents both in the backcourt and front court. What are you focusing on for this series? Yeah, well, this is my favorite first-round matchup. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. Um, so what I'm focusing on, though, is kind of Portland's defense, um, which was a, a top-10 defense all season. Um, and and I, I'm wondering – they finished season eighth in defense, by the way. I'm wondering if it's real. I, I have a suspicion that it's kind of fool's gold and that it was a great regular season defense because uh, they, they really they played smart. They played conservatively, and they gave up the right shots. They gave up a lot of mid-rangers, that, kind of similar to the Jazz. They dropped Nurkic back in the pick-and-roll, and they took away corner threes, invited teams to jack mid-rangers. I, I don't think they're going to be able to keep that up in the playoffs simply because I think Nurkic, uh, Lillard, and McCollum, you know, kind of their, the, the three people who are the most uh, vital to that defense, uh, to that pick-and-roll defense, are uh, – 
more exploitable in the playoffs than they are in the regular season when teams aren't necessarily going to be targeting them all the time. Um, I think especially uh, Anthony Davis is a bad matchup for Nurkic just because he's so much faster. He's so much more athletic. Um, so I think he can kill, he'd be able to kill Nurkic in the pick and roll. And in transition too, the Pelicans uh, played at the fastest pace in the league. Uh, so I can see them. Nurkic isn't in the best of shape. So I can see him really struggling to keep up in the series, um, you know, having to take some breaks just to catch his breath. Um, but the, the Blazers need him offensively. Uh, so I think that would put them in a really bad position. And uh, then on the other end, I, I like the ability of Drew Holiday, who's had kind of an under-the-radar really good season, to be able to check one of Lillard or McCollum at all times. And for the Blazers to win, they really need both of those guys to be on. Um, I mean, you touched on on two things. I definitely wanted to to make sure got mentioned. Um, my the the one I was looking at the most is definitely Davis versus Nurkic, and I even put in parentheses and whoever else they throw at him because I don't think Nurkic is going to have the stamina either to play the whole game on Davis. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised if they play a big matchup and and give Nurkic a break at some point in the game by even. You know, putting him on 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 Okafor, dare I say? Um, that might be too stupid for me to say. They might that might be a suicide for them to do. But yeah, I really worry about his stamina. There's no way to put him on a Mecca Okafor. I take that back. But um, so who else is going to be? Going to be Ed Davis? Going to be Alfaruka Minu? You know, like who else? Well, David, I I think maybe Zach Collins might be their best. I mean, he's their most uh, rookie. He the problem is he he's he's a rookie, but I think he has a lot of defensive potential, and he is definitely their most athletic big man. Um, you know, he does, he is like really quick. He's got some, some hops. Um, but again, you're asking a rookie to check Anthony Davis, like, come on. Or, or then uh, it's Myers Leonard, you know, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So Davis is going to feast. Um, he is. And, and you can, you can have him feast and still win this series. You can have him feast and still win a game if he puts up 50 and 20. Um, it's very hard and you're really threading the needle there. So you're going to have to exploit your strengths, which is one of the best backcourts in the league. Now, uh, I mean, you already talked about it a little. I'm very curious about how not just Drew Holiday, but Holiday and Rondo are going to be able to size up and make life hard for Lillard and McCollum. Rondo, way back when, before the ACL, back in the big three days, was known to be a pretty staunch defender. Um, now, was he just known for that, or was he actually? I saw the guy make plenty of steals and plenty of smart reads in his day. Um, that's a long time ago. He's older. He hasn't tried very hard in quite a while on the defensive end. Uh, that said, last year in the Chicago series, before he got hurt, we saw him make life very hard for Boston. And if he did not get hurt, I think Chicago would have won that series. So Rondo yeah. knows when to step it up a notch. He's a leader that guys listen to. These guys seem to love him, at least Boogie and, and Davis do. Uh, I have no doubt that Rondo's going to have some tricks up his sleeve. He's going to find a way to make life very hard for Lillard and McCollum. But at the end of the day, I, I don't think it's going to be quite hard enough. Um, Lillard has had an MVP caliber season this year. Um, you know, the, he's going to he's gonna have so much attention that McCollum's going to be able to spring free for some big moments. Uh, for me, it's not just what's going on up top, but also when you look down the roster... Um, how much is Shabazz Napier going to play? They've kind of thrown him some rope this season. How much is Evan Turner going to play? And who does New Orleans have to throw at those guys when they're going to their second unit? Um, New Orleans is pretty top-heavy, and after that you're getting into 
some guys who, who I certainly wouldn't trust, and they have no choice but to trust. But that's where I think that, that some moments may be decided. Ultimately, I think this is going to be a tight series that gets decided in the last five minutes of more or less every game with all those best players we just mentioned on the court. Um, anything else you want to hit real quick, and then give me a prediction? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, you kind of answered the last question I had for you, which was if you thought playoff Rondo would make an appearance. And I've been kind of you know harsh on him uh, at times in this podcast, but he does uh, he does have a playoff track record, so oh, yeah. I would not be surprised if he if he has some big games. Um, yeah, I just I like that you mentioned Evan Turner really quickly. I think he's a guy who uh, New Orleans is really gonna not guard at all. Yeah, uh, when he's on the court, I think they're gonna invite him to shoot, and I think that's gonna cause some problems. And um, yeah, as great as Lillard is has been, I think if you can, I think he's still going to get his, but I think if you can kind of, he took 20 shots a game this year. I think if you can kind of force him to get his like 27 points a game on like 25, 26 shots versus 20 shots, you know, I think that uh, make him a little less efficient. I think that would be a win for uh, New Orleans. And yeah, I, you know, they're, they've been hot. I believe in Anthony Davis. I've got New Orleans in seven. Same. I, uh, I really want to see New Orleans win a playoff series. I would yeah, really love to see that. I think it's time, if Davis is really one of the top three or four players in the league, for him to just uh, forge ahead in a matchup where he's going to have to overcome some team weaknesses, just as he's done that all second half of this season without Boogie, um, without the 1B to his 1A. So we're on the same page there, both saying New Orleans in seven. And we're going to move right on to the two versus the seven. Golden State versus San Antonio. Golden State, the two seed with a 56-24 and 24 record. San Antonio, the seven seed with a 47-35 and 35 record. Very weird still to see them under the 50-win mark, but at least they made the playoffs. Yeah, man. So, um, you know, Golden State for years now, the first round has basically been a joke for them. With that said, <laughs> maybe it still will be. They're also coming in without Steph, and we know Pop. He's always got some tricks up his sleeve. Uh, what's worth talking about here for you? Oh, this is just, this is a weird one, man. And, you know, my, the first thought in my head was like, Golden State's going to sweep, even without Steph. Uh, but the more I think about it, I still think they're going to win, but I don't think it's going to be necessarily that easy. Um, I saw uh, uh, Matt Moore, a.k.a. Hardwood Paroxysm, put something out on Twitter last night that really... Uh, caught my attention, which was uh, it was screenshots of the way the Spurs have defended Golden State pick and roll with Steph versus with Quinn Cook. And with Steph, they had uh, the script, the two defenders in the ball screen trapping way out high on Steph. And then they had a third defender um, coming into the nearest passing lane. So they really had three guys at the top of the floor defending that pick and roll. And with Quinn Cook, uh, they didn't. They had Aldridge laid back in the paint. They had the uh, the ball handler's defender at the point of attack, and that was that was it. So I think it, you're right, and that pop really is going to have some tricks up his sleeve, and I think he's really going to be able to exploit the uh, kind of. I mean, Quinn Cook's a decent shooter, but he I think compared to Steph, he doesn't have nearly the the gravity. So I think San Antonio is really going to be able to exploit that, but uh, I just don't think they have the talent at the end of the day. Unless we hear Kawhi Leonard's music and he like repels down from the rafters at the start of Game One, and suddenly makes it makes an appearance, that would be crazy. I don't think it's going to happen. But uh, yeah, I just I think San Antonio is going to be able to get a game or two. But at the end of the day, 
uh, their lack of talent uh, comparatively is really going to show. Real quick, I, we had to touch on will Kawhi show up. Um, I don't think it's been talked about enough, all the similarities we have now to Derek Rose a few years ago, or maybe it has been, and I just kind of don't listen to the hot takes. But uh, if he's not come by now, there's no way he's going to pop in in the playoffs. So yeah, it, it, what percent chance do you think Kawhi will play in the 2017-18 NBA playoffs? Like zero point three. Yeah, it's under ten for me. Yeah, um, it's yeah. Yeah, um, unless it's like you know, like Tali Al Ghul and like The Dark Knight Rises, just you know, putting yourself like right next to Bruce Wayne the entire time just to betray him at the last moment. You know, unless Pop is pulling something like that, just hiding Kawhi and to to pull him out when everyone is uh, least expecting it, unless it's some kind of crazy long con, like it's not gonna happen. That would be such high drama if, <laughs> if if this game, like if home court follows through the first four games, all of a sudden it's a 2-2 series, and then Pop is having a press conference, and like this huge shit-eating grin just emerges on his face, and Kawhi <laughs> comes out with a Spurs jersey on, you know, and Pop's like, and like they hug it out, and it turns out they've been buddies the whole time, and they've just put this all these crumbs along the way, like, <laughs> Discord, Kawhi going to the, like no, this is the ultimate Greg Popovich resting his star move. Didn't care about fifty wins. Didn't care about home court. It's not gonna happen. I'm wasting too much time on this. No. But it's just very funny to think about. Um It is. What about what about Lamarcus? I mean, you know, we I talked about their lack of talent, but I mean Lamarcus is still an all star. He's gonna be on an all NBA team this year, and he's had some massive playoff games in the past. Like, do you think he'd be able to carry San Antonio in this series? I think he will, uh, whether he carries them to get swept or carries them to some competitive moments. Uh, we'll see. But it will be on his back. I will always fondly remember those Portland series with him and Lillard when they took down Houston, when he just had some mammoth games. Uh, I don't think about LaMarcus Aldridge without thinking about those games because it showed he likes those big moments and he can thrive in them. And We've seen this yeah. year that the bumpy ride he's had in San Antonio has smoothed out a little bit. Pop's got some trust in him now, and they know uh, it's going to be going through him. This offense is going to be flowing through him. Now, at the same time, it's kind of a tough matchup on the other side, at least with the starters, because Draymond is his matchup, and Draymond's going to give him hell. Um, and, you know, yeah. is, is, is Zaza going to do some Zaza shit and fall on him under the basket? I don't know. I hope not. But... Um, <laughs> It's uh, it's gonna be fun. Uh, Quinn Cook, of course, you got to mention him. Uh, it's gonna be like Quinn Cook versus Dejounte Murray, which will be pretty cool. Um, yeah, obviously, I uh, like Dejounte Murray. Me too. And this is a big moment for him. I think that we're gonna see a lot of action coming out of a Dejounte Murray, Lamarcus Aldridge pick and roll. We're gonna see a bunch of those, and then we're gonna see a bunch of Tony Parker, Lamarcus Aldridge pick and rolls. Uh, He's going to be yeah. in the middle of it, Aldridge that is. But Murray's going to have the ball in his hands a lot, and when it matters as well. Uh, you know, I, th- I think you're, you're right at the end of the day with the talent thing, but I really want to see the Spurs steal a couple. I really think we could be in for some interesting games. Um, you know, Golden State, they're 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 kind of bare right now. I mean, they're not, but it just feels that way without Steph seeing Quinn Cook play. Guy's been playing like 30 minutes a night, and he's fine, but like, yeah. it's not really the Warriors without Steph Curry. Now, with that said, we haven't even we barely said Durant's name yet, but but he could single handedly win this series if he wants to, and he probably will. Yeah, I don't I don't think we really need to talk much about Durant because he's just going to be awesome. You yeah. know, he uh, he's been great all season. He elevates his game in the playoffs. Um, 
But you're right. I mean, Draymond has not quite been himself all year, so that's a little uh, concerning. And I think, though, like physically and just in terms of his like makeup, intelligence, and toughness, he's a really tough matchup for LaMarcus. But at the same time, LaMarcus is so much bigger than Draymond. Yeah. I think he can just, uh, you know, kind of turn and face and shoot his little jumper right over him without much of a contest. Um, so as long as he's not really trying to back Draymond down and really playing into Draymond's strength that way, I think LaMarcus might be able to feast for like a game or two, um, just, just by, you know, if his jumper gets wet. It's, uh, it's a good question. I mean, Draymond's made a living out of people assuming because he's smaller than the guy he's guarding, the guy he's guarding is going to get his goat, but it never seems to happen. Um, yeah, it might happen for a couple games. I think the point I'm about to mention is the reason you said for a couple games. Draymond will figure it out. Steve Kerr will figure it out. Uh, if he has to guard him differently, if they have to throw some help, if they have to throw some different looks defensively, they'll fi- if, if Durant has to go on Arnold Aldrich for certain possessions, you know, they'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe. That'd be wild. <laughs> but, I mean, Durant's bigger, so yeah, maybe. Yeah, he has the length. He's, he's skinny as hell, but... He's got hella blocks uh, this year. But, yeah, I don't know. I just think uh, – I think at the end of the day, like, like Durant is just too much. Um, and because without Kawhi, they have nobody to guard him. Um, Rudy Gay ain't going to be able to do it, you know. It's just – I think that's what it comes down to in the end. Kyle Anderson ain't going to be able to do it, you know. No. Um, and, and as has been such an advantage for Golden State so many times, even as I just mentioned, like, oh, they're bare. I mean – they don't have their two-time MVP, but they've still got Livingston. They've still got, looks like Iguodala just got some knee soreness, and he's going to be fine. Swaggy P, they figured out what to do with him pretty well. Uh, yeah, They've got a leadership back. of David West, and if they want some energy minutes out of guys like Jordan Bell, they've got that. So we didn't even say Clay's name. Like, you know, they've got plenty of talent, and it's just going to be too much for San Antonio. I'm saying Golden State in five, the gentleman's sweep. Uh, what do you think? Gentleman's Sweet. I've got Golden State in six. I've I've got Lamarcus Aldridge having a couple of vintage LA games, nice. but and but it's just not going to be enough. Uh, we'll see. I'd like to see that happen. I don't think it will, but who knows? Um, last one in the Western Conference. Yeah. Let me. Can I refill my coffee real quick? Yeah, I'm actually going to do the same. So we're going to have sure. a coffee break. I'm not going to edit this out, and then we're going to come back. Folks, thanks to the glory of the pause button, in a mere two seconds of podcast time, we've both gotten coffee refills, and I'm about to eat a donut. <laughs> Tommy, what, what kind of coffee are you drinking? I'm drinking, oh man, this is so basic, dude. I'm just drinking Starbucks espresso roast. There's nothing wrong with that. You make a pot of coffee with espresso roast? Uh, yeah, it's, um, I mean, Starbucks just sells it, uh, you know, with their normal, with the rest of their coffee, and it's darker and stronger than, uh, you know, their normal coffee and that's i like my coffee really dark and really strong and really bitter so you know plus it was half off at uh at the grocery store so that's all i need to hear um yeah i don't even know what kind of coffee i'm drinking just whatever was in my parents kitchen um <laughs> let's do this excuse me now i got donut in my mouth houston the top seed arguably in the entire nba certainly with the best record take it on minnesota the eighth seed Houston, 65-17. and 17. Minnesota has at least one team in every series, 47-35. and 35. So, before we really dive into this, I do need to ask you, and I'm sorry if I'm going to 
bring you to a dark place about the Minnesota-Denver play-in game from Wednesday night that was pretty epic. Oh, man. Let's that was hear. crazy. Real quick, you have a minute. Let me let me hear it. Um, all right, I think Denver's uh, Denver down the stretch, especially their ATO uh, at the end of regulation, was horribly executed. Um, I think their offense in general kind of really bogged down. Uh, late in games, I don't think Murray or Jokic got enough shots. Um, but at the same time, uh, Taj Gibson was throwing Nikola Jokic all kinds of hands, and he couldn't get a damn call. Like that, that was a little ridiculous to me. I mean, the fact that he was just getting bodied uh, and mugged and couldn't even get a single a single foul. That was a little egregious to me, uh, um, you know. But at the same time, I uh, I think the Nuggets' zero point five percent chance of winning the lottery is better than the chance they would have had at winning their first round playoff series. So, you know, I'm okay with it. Yep. Um, I just want to note that, that while the Nuggets blew some games throughout the end of the season that they should have won, um, they did have some bad luck in that they faced the Sixers when Fultz came back, and then they faced Minnesota yep. in, in the game that it feels like Jimmy Butler actually came back. He played 42 minutes and scored 31 points. Um which is not close either to the minutes or the points that he put up in his the other game or games, however many games he played uh, prior to this. So uh, crazy game, though. That was the real beginning of the playoffs. And, yeah, at the yeah. end of the day, it's it's always a trade-off. I remember a few years ago as a Celtics fan when they made it, um, Miami ended up with the pick that became Justice Winslow. It was real tough to be like, ah, oh, damn, we just got swept by Cleveland. But uh, <laughs> it felt like it put us on the right trajectory and, and – Thankfully, we did not trade four picks for the pick that became Frank Kaminsky. Um, <laughs> that would have sucked. Anyway, so we do end up with Minnesota in that eight seed. And, I mean, what's there to say? Houston is is nuts, and they're going to run train through Minnesota. But Minnesota has some paths to resistance here. Um, you know, it would be fun to see Capella deal with the challenge of Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, it'll be really fun to see Harden... And Paul kind of just feast here um, on Jeff Teague and and Tyus Jones and Derek Rose. I mean, who am I missing? Like they're the 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 guards in Houston are just gonna go nuts. And uh, yeah, Mister Six Man of the Year Jamal. I keep I just, this is not even the first time in this podcast that I have forgotten his name. Jamal Crawford. Jamal Crawford. Because he's just yeah. such a he just he look he's always looked like he's twenty five. He's always played like he's Allen Iverson, and he's incredibly inefficient. And it was a stupid decision to add him to the roster, but he's been there all season. And hey, maybe he'll heat up off the bench for them and give them some fun moments. But way too much firepower here from Houston, both in the starting lineup and coming off the bench. I think Minnesota's got some interesting options off the bench. Bielitsa, um, Tyus Jones, if they give him enough minutes, uh, players of that nature, but not even close to enough against Houston. Uh, where are you with this? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think like Minnesota's one path to resistance in this series is to just feed Towns the ball, but they don't do that enough. Like he, the, the, like they they didn't do that nearly enough in the regular season. He was you know third on the team in, in shots per game. Um, you know he didn't his usage didn't go up after Butler got hurt, which was egregious. Which makes me believe that they're not going to feed him the way they should in this series. And I think that's really the only way they could have a chance of even taking like a game or two. Um, I just think Minnesota's defense is so bad. 
and the Rockets are just going to exploit it mercilessly. I mean, that's one thing D'Antoni does. That's what I think one of the things he's low-key best at is when he sees an advantage, I mean, he will exploit it until he steps on your throat and strangles you. I remember in the first round last year uh, against uh, OKC, he intentionally fouled Andre Robertson, um, you know, who's given James Harden hell as such a, as great a defender as he is. But uh, they intentionally fouled Robertson, just possession after possession after possession. I think he ended up going like two for 17 from the line in that game, and they just did it until they took him out of the game. That's, you know, that that's what D'Antoni does. And I think the way the Rockets play this year, where they just do high pick and roll on every play, and if you, you know, if you just have that high pick and roll being, you know, Harden being, you know, Jeff Teague and Carl Anthony Towns guarding it, it's going to be money for Harden. If you put Butler onto Harden, then they're going to force a switch. If you put Butler onto the screener's defender to try to, you know, get him switched onto Harden, they're just going to have another guy set the screen. You know, I think, I, I think Jimmy Butler could check James Harden, but I wonder how much time he's even going to spend guarding him just because of the way Houston uh, you know, kind of forces switches and, and exploits those mismatches. So I, I think, like you said, Harden and Paul are going to feast. And I don't see, you know, I really don't see any path uh, to victory for Minnesota here. No, it'd be cool if they stole one at home with that, you know, first time in the playoffs for a long time. Um, they mentioned on the jump yesterday, kind of a touching moment. Towns told Blip Saunders he'd take him back to the playoffs, things like that. But uh, yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, but 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 great stories don't win playoff series in the yeah. NBA. Great players do, and at least the best player on the court, if not the two best players on the court, depending on how highly you think of Chris Paul this season, are wearing red. So this is going to be Houston trying shit out. They're going to be more concerned about who wins the four or five matchup than they are about the team in front of them. Um, yeah. Whew. I think Towns could be the best player on the court. He's just not going to have the chance to be. Not yet, yeah. He, and he, he won't have They don't get him the ball. Series. Yeah. Man, tips. And, get it together, buddy. Yeah, I mean, and every second, you mentioned Jamal Crawford, like every second he or Derrick Rose are on the court is just going to be, you know, Harden's going to be licking his lips like he's got Wes Johnson crossed up on the ground in front of him, you know. It's, it's going to be ugly. And you're, you know, you're right about Tibbs. He's, I think he's had a really bad season from a coaching perspective. Um, to be honest, like I might fire him no matter the outcome of this series. Like, can't do that. You know, I don't know, man. Maybe Jimmy Butler doesn't blow his meniscus if he's not playing 37 minutes a game. I don't know. Just the the lineups, the lack of bench depth, and the lack of uh, play from the bench. Uh, you know, I and I I think Dan. He's going to coach circles around him in the series if it even comes to that point where the coaches have to make adjustments. But I don't think it will. I think Houston can just blow, will just blow the doors off of him. I uh, I thought I was doing this podcast with Tommy Wood, not Kevin O'Concert, but uh, <laughs> apparently now we've got a fire Tibbs campaign going over there. Uh, D'Antoni will coach circles around Tibbs. He won't have much time to do so because I'm going to say Houston in four. Um. I, there's plenty of other stuff we could talk about, but this is not the last time we'll be talking about Houston because they'll be in the playoffs for a good long while. So Houston yeah. four, and uh, let's hope nobody gets hurt. Yeah, I'm with you. Houston and four. It's it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a bloodbath. 
All right, and with that, we transition over to the Eastern Conference. Real quick, did you read the James Harden GQ uh, profile? Yes. It was really entertaining. He gave some good Um, quotes and some excellent pictures. He did. And, you know, when when you have a story like that, with I think it was one of those things where, uh, you know, it was kind of tied into something promotional, like with uh, his endorsement by of uh, gummy gummy worms, um, you know, and I think the writer did a really good job of like incorporating that into the story without making it just such overt, uh, you know, brand placement. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was well done. But yeah, dude. Some of his quotes, too, were, were money. Uh, just the way he was talking about Wes Johnson, the way he was talking about his time with Dwight. I thought it was a really entertaining piece. Yeah, he uh, he really is very unique. I mean, that was one of the themes of the the piece. Like, he's not your average best player in the NBA. Um, and, and the quotes, the pictures, who he is, backs it up pretty well. Um, it was enjoyable. And it's cool for him to give that time in those quotes when he's about to be bombarded with all kinds of media stuff because he is going to be the MVP and that carries yeah. with it all kinds of stuff. So, uh, and yeah. I, I like how GQ tells you like everything he's wearing in the photo captions and how much it's worth too. I know like, that like, as well. He's wearing, like you can see, he's wearing like a thirty-five thousand dollar Rolex. <laughs> and then like, yeah, and they sprinkle in like uh, there was one jacket he was wearing. It was like. It was a Supreme jacket. It literally said price upon request. Like, you don't even want to know how much this thing costs. Like, and then under that, it just said, like, Adidas Windbreaker. Like, it was probably, like, a $30 Adidas Windbreaker that they just sent <laughs> yeah. him, you know? Um, anyway, on to the East. Again, starting with the 4-5. We've got the Cleveland Cavaliers, the 4 seed with a 50-32 and 32 record. The Indiana Pacers, the 5 seed with a 48-34 and 34 record. Uh, a lot of people are just... You know, writing off the first round as a tune-up for Cleveland. LeBron turns the flips the switch, starts getting his guys battle ready for some bigger fights beyond. What say you, sir? Um, yeah, I'm kind of in agreement with that. I don't think it's going to be a sweep, but uh, Cleveland has LeBron James and Indiana doesn't. And as Victor Oladipo has been awesome. He's an all-NBA guy this year for sure. Um, and I think he's going to have some big games. Like, I, I, I do not doubt his ability to, to put up buckets. I think these are going to be some close games. I think Oladipo is really going to play well because Cleveland doesn't have any uh, type of guard defender uh, who, can, who can check him. You know, George Hill maybe, but I think Hill's a little old. He's a little bit smaller, and he, I think he's slowed down some. Um problem is on the other end you know no one's gonna check lebron and i think when you start getting into like you know kind of like the lebron kevin love pick and pop i think that's gonna bring miles turner way out there on the floor and just open up the lane and lebron will just get downhill and you know do whatever he wants at the rim um so i think that's gonna be a problem for uh for indiana and then you know they're they're the matchups too like Indiana needs Bogdan or Boyan Bogdanovich out there for his offense, uh, but he can't play D. So I think they're going to have to make uh, kind of a the choice whether they want him out there for his offense or Lance for his defense. Um, so I, I think just in that regard, they're never going to be able to have like kind of their best offensive lineup out there. 
So I think it's going to be a problem. Um, and and LeBron's just LeBron. I mean, let's let's be real. No, absolutely. Uh, he can much like you know we talked around it for a while, and then it's kind of like all right, well, Golden State has Durant, so what do you really want? You could talk around. The Pacers have some intrigue. They've done a lot better than anybody thought they would this year, and they've given Kevin Pritchard a lot longer of a leash than anybody thought he had with Oladipo. Just, dude, that guy, Oladipo better, I don't even know how to express it, never buy a drink in Kevin Pritchard's vicinity again. I don't, <laughs> he, sh- he should never pay for gas. Kevin Pritchard should pay for every drop of gas that goes into the most expensive car Oladipo that can find that Kevin Pritchard also <laughs> bought him. Because that trade looked so stupid until Victor Oladipo emerged as an all-star and a guy to build your franchise around. And if what he showed us this year is a preview of things to come, then he absolutely has become that. He is the presumptive most improved player. And he is a guy who definitely uh, could give us some intriguing moments in this series. Uh, Can't say much more than that, though. Yeah, I think that you made an excellent point that how... Cleveland can utilize love is going to cause problems for Miles Turner and really for anybody that Indiana wants to throw down in the paint. Uh, they just don't have anybody to match up with the unique way that Kevin Love plays offense in the power forward center position. And Cleveland's just got a lot of different looks they can throw at Indiana that they don't have much to do. Um, I want to see yeah. Oladipo and Sabonis have some fun. You know, again, kind of like I mentioned with Minnesota, like maybe they can manage to steal a game at home or something and give the crowd something to talk about. They've already done way better than anybody thought they would this season. Uh, all the way up to the five seeds, pretty impressive for them. Although, like at the bottom of the Western Conference, that was kind of in doubt coming into the last couple weeks of the season. But uh, it's cool. Cleveland's, yeah, Cleveland's I mean, just getting ready. Cleveland's defense is so bad. I think I think Indiana's absolutely going to be able to score on them, and yeah. I think they'll be able to hang. I think these games are going to be close just because Cleveland is not going to be able to get a stop. I think these games are going to be really high-scoring and entertaining. Um, But then when it comes down to crunch time, when LeBron actually locks in on D, and then when, you know, he's handling the ball every possession on the other end, there's just nothing you can do to stop that. So again, it reminds me of that year the Celtics snuck into the playoffs. They were competitive with the Cavs through three quarters, the first Isaiah year. Um, and then the fourth quarter yeah. would happen, and yeah, Kevin the, Love the would hit like Yeah, the year Kelly Olenek suplexed Kevin Love yep. and ripped his arm out of his socket like a Wookiee. The very same, because Kelly Olenek is an evil, evil man. No, he's a, <laughs> he's a wonderful, soft soul, and he loves burritos and shooting three-pointers and beating the Washington Wizards. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, they're... They're gonna they're gonna play with him a little, and then LeBron's gonna have that look on his face when the fourth quarter starts, and it's gonna be over. He's gonna dunk the yeah. living hell out of somebody, and he's gonna give some quotes about suddenly already being ready for the next round. And then they get to play Toronto, and that'll be a lot of fun. So I'll say Cleveland. Yeah, real Cleveland quick, do you think uh, Tristan Thompson's the the re- revelation of his recent uh, infidelity is gonna seep into the Cavs locker room and uh, cause problems for them at all? Yes. Or may he have broke by cheating on Chloe while she was pregnant with his child. May he have broken the Kardashian curse. And like could this lead Cleveland to a title potentially? Folks, I, I you, don't know. You heard it I'm here first. The tough questions. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> the tough questions. Uh I think it's going to fuck with his head. I think 
Just like just like last year, it was last year, right? They got to the finals, and Zach Lowe was like, "Here's why Tristan Thompson's so good." And then Tristan Thompson was like, "Nope." <laughs> yeah. And he hasn't been good since. Um, maybe he did break the curse, man. Maybe that's what it took. But uh, I I think even if that didn't happen, just Tristan Thompson being around and having to play basketball for the Cavaliers was going to be a problem. So now having some <laughs> some shit in the locker room, that's even worse. Uh, thankfully, they've got Larry oh, Nance, who I know it's yeah, his first what, time in the playoffs. Yeah, thankfully, they've got LeBron. What, what's your prediction for this one? I'm calling it a straight sweep. Cleveland in four. Sweep. I've got Cleveland in five. All right. I think I think Oladipo has like a 45, 50-point game. Oh, that, that'd be fun. Yeah, I think he just wins one single-handedly. I hope you're right, man. That'd be cool. Um, next. This uh probably going to be the most entertaining series in the first round in the east the philadelphia 76ers the owners of the number three seed how about it with a 52 and 30 record taking on the miami heat the sixth seed 44 and 38 um couple couple points here where we're gonna see really really some interesting matchups across the board but especially the ones that pop out to me first are uh the masked knight joel Embiid. uh (laughs) Versus Hassan Whiteside, Blancote. And then, technically, you got Ben Simmons versus Goran Dragic, but I don't think that Spolster's... I mean, Dragic plays a decent defense, but I don't think Spolster's going to let that happen just because giving Simmons that much height advantage lets him see the court so clearly. But yeah, um, those pop out to me. What What's the first thing that comes to mind for you with what could be a pretty entertaining series? Yeah, I mean, you, you've got... I, I think you kind of hit on the two most intriguing there. You've got the Phantom of the Process, as he's calling himself now. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, he, he is not expected to be back for game one, according to basketball reference. Um, but yeah, the second he comes back, I think he's going to pr- give Whiteside problems because, A, they kind of already hate each other. Uh, but I think Embiid is the guy who's more a, capable of uh, keeping a clear head, and he's uh, he's also just way better. So I think he's going to be able to take advantage of that. And then Miami does have some intriguing other matchups just like they can throw at uh, um, uh, God, Embiid, sorry, right. with uh, like with uh, Bam Adebayo, um, who has been a, had a really good defensive season. Um, and I think Olenek, from an offensive perspective, would be interesting out there just to see them uh, see him spread and beat out and get him away from the rim um, and kind of let their other guys penetrate. Um, I think as far as defending Simmons, I think you've got to have James Johnson, right? I think yeah. he's – I don't know who else it could be. Josh Richardson is probably their best defender, but like Dragic, he's way too small. Yeah. Um, so I, but I really don't think they're going to have an answer for, for Simmons. Um but I think this is going to be a fun one, just with the depth that and the athleticism that Miami has. I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk for Philly, even though they have by far more talent. Um, to me, honestly, the X factor in this series is Markel Fultz and what he does coming off the bench. I mean, if he's able to to play like he has over these past you know few few games that he's been back, um, you know, he hasn't been playing a ton only 18 minutes a game but um i think he's been playing pretty damn well for them and if he's able to come off the bench and get them you know 15 points in 15 minutes or something like that that's huge um and if if brett brownie dares to you know play him and simmons together 
the spacing could be an issue, but at the same time, I mean, those are two really talented guys, uh, talented passers, talented finishers. So I think I think Fultz could really uh, – I think Philly's going to win, but I think uh, depending on Fultz's performance, he could take what I think is going to be a close series and make it a little less close if he goes off like I think he's capable of. So Fultz, I definitely wanted to get to. The idea with him seemed to be, before all the jump shot stuff, you play him at the shooting guard. Simmons Simmons is the ball handler, but Fultz comes off screens and stuff, and he stretches the floor. He's made such leaps and bounds in the few games he's played this season. He could be as close as one huge playoff game from being like, all right, I'll play off Simmons. Like, I'll start trying to take some threes. Maybe, you know, probably he's going to want an offseason to work on his three-point shot before he's that comfortable coming off screens and stuff. But... That triple-double was crazy impressive. Um, Youngest yeah. person to ever do it. And he already looks very comfortable as the leader of that second unit. Um, and he gives, I mean, what already was a, a, a second uh, lineup with plenty of options, even more danger and firepower. Um, you know, he's able to get it to Bellinelli and Ilyasova. Um, play him with McConnell, as we mentioned before. It could be kind of an awkward fit, but also that's a lot of defensive tenacity. Um, yeah. They've got a lot of options, and Miami does too. Something that we talked about a few weeks ago, you mentioned how they could be a bad matchup for the Celtics because of that, but everything Miami wants to throw at Philadelphia, they're deep enough to say, you want to do this? You want to put a Linux out there? All right, fine. We'll give you whoever. Well, I mean, who even would you put on a Linux? <laughs> I mean, I guess Sarich, maybe? Sarich, yeah. Yeah, and then having a guard, whoever's at power forward, or you know, keep him in because usually when when they play um, Olenek at center, that a lot of the times they have Bam at at power forward, yep, and he's not going to hurt you from outside. So um, you can put Ilyasova on him yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, Ilyasova too. Um, and yeah, I like what you said about Fultz's three point shot. Like those catch and shoot threes are going to be there for him yep. if he just doesn't think and just pops it as soon as the ball hits his hands. Who knows? Maybe, maybe he, you know, realizes, oh, I, I don't have the yips anymore. Um, but I think, regardless of that, um, I think he's going to have an impactful series, just like you said, just as the leader of that second unit. Um, Miami's second unit is crazy good too, but they don't have a number one overall pick on it. They've got the man known as Flash. Dude, Ellington has been fire. I was talking um, about Wade. And- <laughs> Oh, you are talking about Wade? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Do you think Wade yeah, could have an I impact? I forgot Dwayne Wade was even in this series. Like, well, oh my god! He it, we want to talk about playoff Rondo. Talk about playoff Dwayne Wade. He could he could steal some late moments for them. You know he's gonna you know he's gonna be standing <laughs> right steal- next to Spo with five minutes left. He's gonna be like Spo, I'm ready. Spo, I'm 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 good. Get me get me in there. And Spo's gonna be like. Because uh, everybody in Miami is going to want to see Dwayne Wade on the court. <laughs> Dwayne Wade is going to be like, I am ready to dominate this game. But he's going to throw a wrench in everything Spolster wants to do down the stretch and crunch time. Yeah, he's going to steal some games in that, like, if it's a close game and they put him in, he's going to steal it from Miami and just shoot them <laughs> out of it. Yeah. Like, I think, like, Spo might need to, like, find him a Jeff Galuli and just, like, like break away his knee in the locker Whoa, or something. Oh, baby. <laughs> Why? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Why? That was mean. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I, 
I'm not, I'm not saying you don't play him at all, but like you've got to be so selective. And maybe you don't. Like maybe maybe you bury him on the bench because again, we're talking about Fultz coming off that second unit. He's he he will take advantage of Wade. He will so abuse Dwayne Wade. On, on there's no way Wade Wade would be able to, to guard him. You no. know, uh, I just I I think he's really kind of Miami's Achilles heel in a way. Um, yeah. It if if he plays as many minutes as he wants to, he can be. If the guy you were hoping I was referring to, Wayne Ellington, gets some more playing time. <laughs> could be up for, for a little more competition here. So it sounds like you think we could see some trouble in this series. I think it's pretty much Philadelphia. I'll give you Sixers in five, assuming Embiid's back by game two. I've got Sixers in six just because yeah. I don't know when Embiid's going to come back. But I think that as soon as he – I think if Embiid were healthy right now, it would be a sweep. We've only disagreed on one series so far. I know, man. We've got to we've got to up the temperature in here. Get some real hot takes. Well, the issue I, is I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for you to predict Washington over Toronto. I'm excited to talk about that series. Um, I'm not sure I can quite go that far, but it, it's tough. Like in the West, we both decided to go the same way with Portland and New Orleans, but that's kind of the only other series where really you could make a strong argument for either one without getting out there. Um, yeah, you really can't say Indiana over Cleveland and and be willing to put money on it. And no, you really absolutely. can't say Miami over Philadelphia because all of the positions Miami is strong at, Philadelphia is stronger. Um, yes. But okay, let's keep moving to one that, that I mean, you got the wrong podcast host to tell you this could get competitive, but some folks might tell you it could. Uh, the two-seed Boston, 55-27, versus the seven-seed Milwaukee, 44-38. and 38. Boston beyond banged up, just a crazy series, a year for injuries. They come into this series... Far from their their top line players, pretty much a starting lineup unrecognizable based on the beginning of the year starting lineup. But with that said, they also come in having held on to that two seed and almost uh, snagging the one seed with a late push with some wins, um, all injuries aside. Meanwhile, Milwaukee ends up with the seven seed that they're probably not too upset about because Boston's so banged up. But at the same time, we talked about this in the past month, uh, probably the matchup Boston wanted. Um Giannis aside, Milwaukee's not got a whole lot that Boston's really worried about, and and they can take care of business, in my opinion. But what are you looking for with the Boston-Milwaukee series? This is just a strange one to me in that uh, Milwaukee has the best player. It's not even close. Oh, yeah. Giannis is, without a doubt, the best player in the series. He will be the best player in every game. Um, and normally, I think, especially in the first round, I think that's – Normally enough, you know, you even go back to LeBron's early days when the rest of his team sucked, yep. but he alone was enough to get them past, you know, the Gilbert Arena Wizards and, and whomever else in the first round. I don't know if that's going to be enough this time. And and it's weird because I Milwaukee is, is healthy. They have no one hurt right now. They have their entire complement of, of, of players. But I just... Despite all of Boston's injuries, I think when you've got the well-oiled machine that they are, the defensive menace that they are, um, the fact that they still play really smart offense and they and they take good shots and they play within themselves even despite all their injuries, I think when you have that type of well-oiled machine against 
Milwaukee, which is just throw Giannis at you again and again and again. Um, I don't know if that's going to work. And then there's just some of the other things Milwaukee does, like Chris Middleton runs way too many ISOs for my taste. Um, Eric Bledsoe is, you know, he's okay. Um, and Jabari has been kind of disappointing yeah. since he uh, came back from injury. And, again, he's such a defensive liability that uh, every second he's on the court, you know, whether he's he's matched up with Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, those guys are going to be able to feast. So as I, I can see this kind of going the same way uh, Anthony Davis' first playoff series went against the Warriors, um, where, where Giannis puts up some insane individual numbers, uh, maybe carries the team to a win or close, but where the team as a whole is just not enough to, to keep up with Boston. How do you think Boston matches up with, with Giannis? Do you think that's all Jalen Brown all the time? Do you think there's a few different bodies that they might put on him just to give him some different looks? Um, I think I think it depends. I think Brown and Marcus Morris are the two guys who will yeah. share like the bulk of the load. Um, Brown might as as thick as he is. I think he's like just a little short. Um, Mark yeah. Morris isn't that much taller, but he's thicker. Um, you know, maybe even like Sim- Shemi Ojale That's would, would get a shot at because yeah. he's like so freaking cut that uh, you know I think. I don't know if he has the speed to keep up with Giannis, but I think just from a strength perspective, he could at least offer some resistance. But that's going to be tough. I mean, I think Giannis is really going to get whatever he wants, but um, when you look at just the the team that Boston has, um, this is Jason Tatum's time to shine, man. I mean, I he's had an awesome year, and the offense has been running through him a lot more now that uh, Kyrie's been out. And I believe that I believe in his ability to be the leading scorer on a team that wins a playoff series, even as young as he is. It's going to be cool because this, you know, he's already shown the potential to be that guy eventually. With this roster, you would assume when the Celtics headed into the playoffs, he was going to be the third or fourth option behind Kyrie, Hayward, possibly even Horford, possibly Jalen Brown. But instead, uh, He's he should be number one. Uh, yeah, we're gonna see some action with him and Rozier. We're gonna see him get the ball on Jabari and expect him to feast, not just try, but be expected to take the ball to the hole because Jabari Parker is on you and you are already a mismatch for him. Uh, which yeah, is wild. If you go back a few years and think about how Jabari is gonna be the next superstar, and now Jason Tatum, this kid who was like 15 when Jabari was drafted, is better than him. Um, so yeah, we're gonna see some serious Duke on Duke crime. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> but uh, hey, man, that's life. Um, it's gonna be, it'll be, it's fun. I, uh, who was it? Someone, I think it was Paul Flannery, was writing about like, oh, how do we? What are our expectations for Boston's playoff series? And and literally, he had a couple sentences that was like, it sucks Boston's had all these injuries. They have to be one year away again. But it is gonna be fun to see. Brad Stevens concoct all these different ways with these pieces that he has right now with Greg Monroe, with Shemi Ojeli playing minutes with maybe even Gershon Yavaseli getting in on the fun with Shane Larkin playing a bunch of minutes. We're going to see some wild stuff. We're going to see some unconventional three or four guard lineups. We're going to see some really big lineups. Um, We're going to see Greg Monroe get a lot of touches with Greg Monroe 
revenge series. Get ready for it. Um, but I think Boston's going to take care of business. Yeah. How do, do you think Milwaukee breaks out like Giannis is center, which that's probably their best like lineup, but they really haven't done it at all in the regular season. And I think that's the one lineup that could give Boston a little bit of trouble. Um, just because as great a defender as Horford is, I don't know if he has the, the athleticism anymore to kind of keep up with something like that. Well, I think that could be very impactful, especially if you, you hand the keys over to Eric Bledsoe and all of a sudden you've got a world-class athlete at center and a world-class athlete at point guard. And yeah, as good of a defensive center as Al Horford is, that's just a mismatch that he's not built for. Um, now, with that said, the the issue there is then you can put Terry Rozier on Bledsoe, a point guard, and Rozier's very good defensively. And if by the end of the series you got Marcus Smart back, if the series goes that long, then forget about it. But um, that would be fun. I don't know if the Milwaukee coaching staff has the balls, though. Do you think they would do it? I think if they want to have a chance of winning this, they 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 will. I think they should have already been experimenting with it you know, throughout the regular season. Um and, you know, Jason Kidd did it last year and, uh, at times against the Raptors in the first round, and it worked really well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know about Joe Prunny. I just, I, I just don't – I don't know. Um, but, yeah, man, I think kind of just going back to what you said about Boston being a year away, as, as shitty as, as Hayward's injury and, and now Irving's injury have been, it's beneficial for the team in that – Tatum gets to carry them in a playoff series. Brown maybe at times just carry them in a playoff series. Rozier maybe. Um, I think it's great for all three of those young guys who get to be probably they they're probably out of all of Boston, uh, Boston's guys they're going to have the ball in their hands the most and they're going to have the most responsibility. They're going to be taking the most shots and I think for the team's long term growth and for those players' long term growth that could be huge. I agree and. With those three guys and Marcus Morris and Al Horford, there's your crunch time five. That's a competitive mm-hmm. team uh, against anybody Milwaukee throws at you. And even against Philadelphia, presumably next round, there will be some competitive moments even if Philadelphia comes in as a favorite. Who knows? Philadelphia's very young. Boston's got a lot to throw at them. We'll definitely have some time to talk about that later if that is the matchup that ends up happening. But Al Horford's a great veteran to lead a team of young guys with not as much playoff experience because he's got a bunch and he's very savvy and he knows how to get them in the position they need to be in. And Brad Stevens never shies away from a coaching challenge such as this. So I have got Boston in five. I've got Boston in six. I I have enough faith in Giannis to to win a couple games, but no more. No more than that. Okay. All right. Last one. We are on the home stretch, and we've got your Toronto Raptors, the number one seed <laughs> in the East, with a 59-23 record against the Washington, uh, as Joe House would put it, almost bullets, the Washington Wizards. I don't know why I just decided to make a Joe House reference, but the eight seed coming in at 43-39. and 39. Um, You mentioned earlier there's history here. The uh, it was not this matchup. I I I had to look it up because I wanted to say this was the I called game, but that actually happened in the next uh, round against the Hawks. But the Wizards yeah. swept, swept Toronto in 2015. Um, Toronto was the four seed. The Wizards were the five seed, and the Wizards just took their lunch money. Um, three years down the road, though, feels like 
could be different, but knowing Toronto's playoff woes could be a whole lot of anything. Um, what are you looking for with this matchup? Um, I'm I'm looking for what is John Wall going to be in this series? You know, is he going to be the John Wall we saw last year in the playoffs who was just winning them games single-handedly? Um, or is he going to be the John Wall we've seen most of the regular season um, who was a little slow, with a little out of shape, settled for too many jumpers, and just was, you know, and kind of got the rest of his teammates to hate him. Um, <laughs> so, I, yeah, when I, when I look at it that way, I just, uh, I, I don't I don't see a real path for, for Washington because I we talked about this last time. I like... I like all of their pieces individually, but they don't mesh into a cohesive unit. And Toronto is incredibly cohesive, and they put, they're so deep and they play so well together, kind of regardless of, of what the lineup is, um, that I think, <clears throat> you know, I think they could have a pretty easy time with this. Um, and, you know, a couple of years ago when, when they got swept by Washington, Kyle Lowry was, was hurt all, uh, all of that series. This year he's been hasn't been playing many minutes. He's fresh. DeRozan's minutes load has not been uh, very uh, stringent either this year. I think he's going to be fresher coming into the playoffs. Um, so I think those two guys are going to be able to uh, really like show out like they haven't in in previous postseasons. For sure, uh, we've talked about it several times now. This Toronto team. <laughs> have gotten here playing differently than they have in, in years past. So it's not crazy to expect different results and more success for them as opposed to playoffs in years past. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if these starting lineups more or less played each other to a draw if we do get the John Wall you mentioned that that is like last year, isn't out of shape. Um, and we won't know until these playoffs start because he has had a really shaky regular season, but he's been bogged down by some injuries that kept him out a lot. And his teammates didn't really seem to care sometimes. Brad Beal, uh, maybe even taking a step forward this season, which, I mean, he's was already very good, but it didn't seem to bother him playing without John Wall. He shouldered the load just fine, and they managed to get into the playoffs. Not exactly the easiest run in the road, but they, they're still here, and that's because Beal had a pretty spectacular season. Um, I think, really, you mentioned it, Toronto's depth is going to carry the day, if nothing else. I think Toronto has a more cohesive starting lineup and they could win it with the starting five on the starting five. But if they don't, they'll definitely win it with the bench units because, I mean, apparently Fred Van Vliet's got some kind of shoulder thing, but it's not going to keep him out too long, even if it keeps him out game one. Um, He And it's funny how important, like, it's the first thing I mentioned about Toronto's bench unit, but that guy leads their bench unit. That guy's awesome, yeah. and he could just eviscerate Washington as long as he's healthy. And it seems like he'll he'll come back, dude. What insight do you have on the video yeah. thing? But he, I mean, even if uh, he does, and <laughs> Basketball Reference says uh, Van Vliet's uh, availability for Game One is "quote unquote" clouded. clouded. Which yeah. I don't know what that means, <laughs> but uh, even if he can't go for for Game One, they still have Delon Wright who has been a really good bench player um, in his own right <laughs> um, hey! this, this season. <laughs> yeah. But uh, um, so Washington's best lineup, or at least theoretically their best lineup, is when they go small with Keith at the five uh, 
Kelly Oubre at the four, then, you know, Otto Porter, Beal, and Wall. And I think that's a really dangerous lineup. I like that lineup a lot. Yeah. But Toronto has multiple counters for that. I mean, they can go, they could go with Abaka at the five, Siakam at the four. They can play Siakam at the five and OG Ananobi at the four, you know? Yeah, and they, they have so many different, they can have Pirtle out there at center too. Um, small around him. Yep. Uh, I think they have so many different ways they can counter what Washington throws at them, and then Washington doesn't have the depth to be able to mix and match uh, everything that that Toronto can hit them with. Um, I think the one X factor for uh, Washington could be you know Bradley Beal if he plays like the Bradley Beal we saw kind of post All Star break. Uh, you know who really turned a corner this year and had an awesome scoring season. Um, I, I think that could win Washington some games. Um, but again, like I don't know if playing next to John Wall, uh, he's really going to be able to do that since Wall not only dominates the ball, but he stops the ball when it's humming around the way it was for, for Washington kind of the last par- portion of that season. Do you think, after seeing how well they played without him with that different style, that he would ever sacrifice how he plays maybe get more in the act of moving the ball around or is that just it's too far down the road for him he's gotten here doing that and he's going to keep doing what he does i yeah i would hope he he does you know for a, i mean they're they're different players but if a guy like demar Derozan could do it for toronto this year you know really take on more playmaking and and be more willing to move the ball and uh play off the ball and shoot some threes um you know, DeRozan's a year older than Wall, and he he did it. So it's not like Wall is too late into his career to make a change like that. Yep. Um, I I, you know, I I hope he he would do that because I think that would make Washington a more dangerous team. I think it would make Wall a more dangerous player. Um, you know, not only in that he's kind of varying what what he's able to throw at teams, but it might be better for his health if he's not you know just shouldering the load all the time. Um, but. But we'll see. It's you know what Toronto did this year is really unique and hard to accomplish, and I also don't think Scotty Brooks is the type of coach who could affect that change in a player uh, the way Dwayne Casey did. You know, you saw him in in OKC. You know, I think there are kind of some similarities in in Wall and and Westbrook, at least in the way they play offensively, um, just the way they dominate the ball and kind of run the offense at their convenience. Um, and Scotty Brooks was never able to rein in Westbrook. And so I don't have confidence that he could do the same with John Wall. Uh, I definitely don't in the next two weeks. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah, definitely not. <laughs> and, and over the last two years, he hasn't really. So how's it going to start now? Um, yeah. The, the thing that honestly I am most curious to see out of this series, because I'm confident Toronto can not only win game one, but win the series, uh, which would be amazing in itself. They can't win game one in their playoff series. Um, what if they win game one and then and then lose the next four? And Still a success, man. Still a step in the right direction. No, that would suck. It won't happen. Um, I am really intrigued to see who earns their minutes off the Toronto bench because Dwayne Casey has said they still want to go 10 deep, 10, 11 deep. Um. <clears throat> yeah, sure. That all sounds good until you're in the playoffs and shit's a lot more intense. And you got to be like, yeah. okay, we got to shorten this thing up. Who's it going to be? It's going to be Pirtle or Siakam or both. Uh, you know, Van Vliet or Wright or both. 
CJ Miles going to see the court? Uh, I don't know. Is somebody going to get hurt and then somebody has to step up and all those guys end up playing anyway? I don't know. But Yeah, uh, it's going to be tough. Who do, who do you think it's going to be if someone has to sacrifice or get the short end of the stick? Who do you think it would be? Oh, it's, it's uh, I don't think Pirtle and Siakam can both get more than 15 minutes when push comes to shove. Um, and my gut tells me Pirtle. What about you? Yeah, I think it's going to be Siakam or CJ Miles. Um, because those guys are kind of their most like one way players off the bench. Siakam as defense only miles offense only yeah um so i think kind of depending on the flow of the game and depending on the matchups you know there might be games where where siakam plays 20 minutes miles plays none if they need siakam's defense whereas if they need the the shooting and the spacing miles you know siakam might stay on the bench where where miles gets some time um yeah god you just think like if those guys skill sets were combined into one player they would be like an all-star totally um but you know that's that's not going to happen. So I I think one of those guys is, is going to get the short end because Ananobi, although like he's shooting, like I don't know if his thirty seven percent three point shooting is real. He's at least been making them this year when he's been left unguarded, and Siakam hasn't. So, uh, and then and then Pirtle I think could get it too, but he's also really uh, unless they just want to use uh, Serge Ibaka as their straight up backup center. I think Pirtle will at least have to get some time out there just because he's really, uh, I mean, he's really their own, like their third big out there. They don't really yeah. have another guy who they play. I mean, maybe Bebe Noguera, but I don't no. see him getting serious time. So um, I think if they, you know, if they want need to play another center, another true center, Pirtle, it's going to have to be Pirtle. And I, I will, I think I answered your question backwards. I was saying I think Pirtle gets the minutes over Siakam. Oh, Pirtle yeah. gets the minutes over Siakam. Yeah, okay. No, um, that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, Siakam, I really like him a lot. Um, and I think he's made some serious strides this year as a second-year player. Um, but his 22% three-point shooting is just, I think that might be too harmful to their spacing when guys just totally ignore him. Yep. That, uh, that unless there's a guy out there, you absolutely need him to defend. Um, which I don't think... I don't think Washington has. So, yeah, he, he might be the guy in this series who uh, kind of has to sacrifice. Yeah, and and we do have to wrap up not just this matchup but the whole podcast. But I think it's really important that Toronto keeps DeRozan and Lowry surrounded by guys they're not afraid to pass the ball to because if they want to go on a run and make the finals, uh, they need to keep those two guys comfortable playing the same style of offense they've been playing all year something you brought up earlier this year is like, are they just going to revert to hero ball in the playoffs when they have in years past or when that's just been the whole offense to begin with, it leads to disappointing results. So yeah, if, if you give up a little bit on defense to make sure that you've got Pirtle on the floor instead of Siakam and, and they're comfortable giving it to Jakob Pirtle and letting him cook a little bit, I think that is much more valuable than a, a, an uptick on defense. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I think that's an excellent point too, is that, about keeping DeRozan and, and Lowry comfortable. And I think, you know, guys like Adenobi and Miles would be uh, better at doing that than uh, than Pascal Siakam, as valuable as his defense may be. All right, so last prediction of the first round. Uh, I will go first. Toronto with a sweep in four. Toronto with a sweep. Yep. Yeah, that's that's what I've got too. Actually. Wow, okay. I just don't see it for... Yeah, I, I just, you know... But, 
I, I almost want to give them a game. Just, you know, if Waller Beal goes off, because yeah. those guys are capable of carrying you. But, like, I just don't – it's been such a weird year for Washington. Nothing has really worked, uh, you know, in cohesion. And I just don't see that suddenly happening now that the playoffs start. So, what, what do you think are the chances that – like, really quick before we go, what do you think are the chances that we see a fight on the Washington bench – that like Beal or or Keith or or like Gortat start throwing hands with Wall. Well, earlier we definitely had in the season we had Gortat with that quote that Wall felt the need to publicly grieve about. So uh, yeah, yeah, everybody they, eats. Yeah, if if things aren't going their way and they're down three zero, and then in that fourth game Toronto jumps out early, I could see some bickering. My money's probably on on Gortat and Wall. Um, yeah, because Gortat gives the least fucks. Ball, Wall, Ball and Beal, <laughs> Wall and Beal yeah. have have worked really hard to make sure that they at least look like they like each other or can stand each other. So I don't think them getting into it on the bench like they're both a little too aware of how that would look. But Gortat, the Polish hammer dude, he'll 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 Joe Kelly that shit. Yeah, he he just wants to get traded back to Orlando in the off season anyway. So <laughs> what? <laughs> not hear him say that he said no. he wants to finish his career he wants to retire after this contract he wants to finish his career in orlando because that's where he uh he came into the league which why you would want to go to orlando is is, is beyond me but but more power to you marcin um <laughs> yeah i just i i forget who who brought it up i, I think it might have been chris vernon um he's talking about a quote from from JJ Berea after Berea got into a wall at a game where uh, they asked JJ about it afterwards, and he was like, "Yeah, everybody hates John Wall. All his teammates hate him." And uh, looks like he might be right. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, it, it you'd be hard pressed to find such a large discrepancy between how much talent a guy has and how much respect he has from the people he plays with. Um, it's really something else. But all right. There's so many million more topics. We could easily go for another hour, but we're going to get out of here. We're pushing 80 minutes. One last thing. We've got some vacancies that popped up. Uh, Orlando, such a such a coveted position, the Orlando Magic head coach. Vogel got fired. Uh, Hornacek is out in New York. And I don't know. I mean, presumably you'll have the Milwaukee gig up for grabs as well once they exit the playoffs, whenever that happens. If you're David Fisdale, where do you want to go? Milwaukee, right? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. What if you have to pick between New uh, York and Orlando? not Orlando. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not because even a good thing, question. Like, you, like, I don't know, we saw this year, Frank Vogel's a good coach. He's not a bad coach based on the lack of results he had the last couple of years. But a good coach only only matters so much unless you're like Greg Popovich. Yeah. And that, like, if you have no talent on your roster, you're going to lose no matter what. And... I would not want to put myself in a situation where my team sucks and we're going to lose and I'm just going to get fired in three years uh, because the front office can't give me any talent. So, yeah, Milwaukee for sure. Yeah, we'll see who, at this point, like because Orlando's had such a consistent, I think it's five coaches in six years now, we'll see who they can even convince to come down there. It's probably going to be a first-time head coach who just wants a shot. Like Nobody with a track record, if they can help it, is going to want to be involved with that yeah I, yeah that's that's gonna be tough i 
because I, I don't see who would want that because they have like they, they have no it's been what six years since they traded Dwight Howard I think so. and they are yeah. no closer to being better than they were at the time and they just I mean Aaron Gordon is their best player that's not they're about to have to pay him a lot of money or lose him for nothing and I like the potential of Jonathan Isaac but they really have nothing to show for all these years of suffering and uh yeah, I wouldn't want to coach there. By the way, I found the J.J. Barea quote. So January 23rd this year, after a uh, Washington, um, well, Washington-Dallas game, John Wall called J.J. Barea a midget. And J.J. Uh, Barea post-game to uh, to Candace Buckner of the Washington Post said, quote, now I have somebody in the in the NBA that I don't like. That's my first. I don't like him at all now. But I don't think his teammates like him either, so it's nothing new for him. <laughs> Guess not, baby. Man, that is ugh, straight flames. Um, yeah, a lot of respect for JJ Barea. <laughs> that guy, that guy's got got some uh, some brass ones, and he's he's put together a pretty successful NBA career. He has, yeah, not bad for a midget. But yeah, anyway, going <laughs> Dude, back to, no, to the no. coaching, uh, I think they prefer little people. Yeah, what what about <laughs> what about Phoenix? Uh, do do you think they stick with Jay Triano there, or do you think uh, that that's an attractive job to anybody else? Because you've got Devin Booker, you've got another top three pick coming coming this year. Um, despite like the lack of development from like Chris and Bender, like that's not an unattractive job, man. Devin Booker is really good. He is. Um... There's a heck of a lot of upside there, especially because this is such a front-loaded draft. They're going to end up with somebody with a lot of talent again. Josh Jackson, like, I haven't really yeah, seen Yeah, I, I forgot about Jackson. They've got TJ Warren, too, who I like yeah. a lot. So literally there's five guys right there who all have the, the upside, and Booker already has shown all-star talent. But all five of those guys, it's the jury's far from out. I don't know. It's been such a mess down there for a few years. I mean, you'd have to feel really comfortable and really, really trust the front office to, to let you do things for a little while, kind of Brett Brown style, because it's not going to happen next year. Yeah, they've got some great golf down in Phoenix. <laughs> do you think they could lure Doc Rivers from LA? I thought you were going to say Charles Barkley. <laughs> Charles Barkley. Oh my god. <laughs> um, I mean, Doc. I think Doc just learned the hard way that there's no avoiding the rebuild at the end of the day, and you'd rather be there on the way up than on the way down. Yeah. So no, that that was that maybe. was a joke, but I I think you're right in that like if you can get assurances of patience from the front office, that wouldn't be a bad job to go in there and try to develop them for the long run, because um, there is a lot to work with. They uh, it's kind of reminiscent of when that Timberwolves spot was vacant. Um, I mean, their guys haven't quite progressed the way that, that Towns had already shown he was a top big man. And Wiggins back then, I mean, now, who was it? Was it Matt Moore who posted, like, Wiggins versus Gary Harris again this year? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, but still, that, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they, they got some sway. Um, assuming they have their shit straightened out. But, all right, we got to get out of here. Um, last thing. The games tomorrow, we were, we're starting off with a bang. Spurs Warriors, 
Wizards, Raptors, Heat, 76ers, Pelicans, Trailblazers. If you had to watch one, which one would it be? Uh, Pelicans, Blazers, man. Like I said, that's that's my favorite series of the first round. I think that is going to be really entertaining. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. For sure. And uh, we will be back soon to talk it all out. But in the meantime, T-Bone, nice work, man. We uh, – we got through this without under the two hour mark at least, so that's something. We're uh Yeah. Thanks to everyone who's who listened. Um thanks to the NBA for a great regular season. That was really enjoyable and hopefully it carries over to the playoffs. Um Tommy, any last words? Yeah, man, I'm just I'm just excited for it to finally get going. Okay, this is my last word. The first round should be a five game series. Should not be a seven game series. That that's that's my last word. First round is too damn long. Wow. Okay. We we could spend a long time talking about that, but I'll just say, uh, depending on how that was structured, I might agree with you. Um, for now, though, we've got seven games, so we're gonna buckle up and prepare for a lot of good basketball in the weeks to come. For now, thanks to everybody who tuned in. Thanks as always to my fellow bandmates and the Woolly Mammoths for putting together that that. Uh, a little ditty here on the front end and the back end. Subscribe, listen on Apple Podcasts, Anchor.fm, and we will talk to y'all next week. Uh, till then, goodbye. Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever.